You're listening to From the Vault, the best of the Beyond Infinity radio show. Where we look back over some of the most interesting science and tech stories we've covered over the years. So Australia is in the midst of a self-imposed recession slash depression, if you like, brought about by the need to shut businesses and most of industry down because of the threat of COVID-19 and the need to socially isolate people to stop the spread of the disease and flatten the curve, as we keep getting reminded. So I thought it might be timely to mention a few big infrastructure projects because we're going to need to build our way out of this and and it is an opportunity to do some things and and look at some big projects which may have been seen as too difficult or too expensive or just you know out of reach for one reason or another Uh, it could be a time to reconsider them and to add them to the mix and I, I thought I'd mention a few stories that we've covered in the last year that relate to kind of imaginative infrastructure The first up is a story about a thing called the East Coast Hyperloop, and this was pitched to the Australian government. The story's going back a bit over a year, published by us in January 2019. So among the options for high-speed mass transport under consideration is Hyperloop, a brainchild of Elon Musk from Tesla and SpaceX. Capsules contained within large tubes could enable travel at up to 1,200 kilometres per hour, but critics reckon the technology is not ready and that we should be looking at more conventional, very fast trains instead. Now, I would love to see a bullet train or a Shinkansen, as they're called in Japan, a TGV in France. I think it's the train de grande vitesse. They're extensively used in China now. China's got a very modern high-speed train system, uh, including a thing called the Maglev, which I think connects Shanghai Airport to the the main city of Shanghai, and uh, that travels at over 400 kilometres per hour. It levitates uh, using electromagnetism above a track. Lots of countries around the world have very successfully installed and, and now use very fast train systems and networks. Australia, I think, should be doing the same. But here's a discussion about the use of a Hyperloop. Hyperloop is a technology developed by Elon Musk. It's the idea of you create a a near vacuum in a sealed tube Mm -hmm. and you literally fire a 15 to 30 person capsule through that tube. Mm -hmm. You can have multiple of them. So it could be, you know, they can leave in two minute intervals, Mm -hmm. but they get fired along. They have a kind of a a passive magneto levitation system. So the the capsule is not in contact with the inside of the tube. It's floating. Mm -hmm. That allows for frictionless travel. So So similar to the process of the, the, the fast bullet trains, yeah? Yeah, similar. Like the magneto system's being used, I think, between Shanghai and Beijing. I think it might be the fastest train line in the world. Mm-hmm. And that travels over 400 kilometres per hour and that uh, levitates on, a, on uh, using a magneto levitation system. Yeah. But it still has to com- uh, contend with the air friction, so therefore that's what it's fighting against. Yeah, and it's a mu- obviously it's a much bigger train. That's more along the lines of a bullet train mm-hmm. in Japan or the TGV in France mm-hmm. and in other parts of Europe, I mean fast trains that technology is tried and tested so a submission's been made to the australian government you know because the australian government is now sort of officially looking at high-speed rail up the eastern seaboard of australia Mm -hmm. so linking up melbourne canberra sydney brisbane 
uh, and possibly a whole bunch of regional centres along the way, mm-hmm. which would sort of go from being towns to big hubs if this goes through. Because obviously, you know, as as with any big infrastructure project, if you've got a a, a train station that's that's new to an area, suddenly that that area stands to benefit a lot. So mm, sure. economically, there's there's some big advantages for regional Australia if they're included in such a network. So I guess all sorts of things are on the table. Conventional uh, high-speed rail systems a la the bullet train or the Shinkansen from Japan, mm-hmm. that kind of thing, or things like the uh, the Hyperloop, which, as I said, allows a capsule to travel through these tubes at speeds of up to 1,200 kilometres per hour. This would allow, allow people to travel from Sydney to Melbourne in under 40 minutes, Melbourne to Canberra in about 23 minutes, Canberra to Sydney in 14 minutes, and Sydney to Brisbane in 37 minutes. Uh, and the, the, as I said, the technology was first ramped up by Elon Musk back in 2012, and he actually released it as open source, mm-hmm. so that uh, you know anyone could develop it. He's, he basically said at the time he was too busy with Tesla and SpaceX to uh, to do any more than that. So hence, uh, it's open yeah, source. Here's the plans. Go and do what you like. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But, but so, so I guess when you look at it, like if you're travelling, you know, Melbourne Sydney, which is the second busiest route in the world, I think it is. So yeah. It's about 55,000 flights a year. So you have to go to the airport, you know, park your car, get in, get through security. Um, you've got to be there a certain amount of time before you get your flight. Mm. Uh, it's only well, about an hour flight, Melbourne, Sydney. Uh, mm. And then, um, you know, getting off and getting out, it's probably probably easy, but probably looking at around about a three-hour you know, journey. Yeah, and that's not a, really accounting for any time from your home here in the peninsula. It's about an hour to get to the airport, just a bit over the hour. Mm. Um, so if you had the Hyperloop, it would be just like, you know, okay, getting to the, to the city, uh, maybe Southern Cross Station, for example, mm. and then uh, just basically paying your ticket getting on board like you were with a normal train and then 45 minutes later you're up in sydney so it would be fantastic huge wouldn't it? saving in time and you're not having to you know get on a plane and if you're a nervous flyer mm-hmm. or it's expensive as well so mm-hmm. there's it could be some significant savings there. not to mention the pollution that planes are putting out of the atmosphere and i think i read a report recently that air travel is expanding around the world quite rapidly at the moment and has done for for several years and that actually is a pollution problem given mm-hmm. we are trying to cool down the world or, or address carbon that's going into the atmosphere well opting for an electrical system which could potentially run on on uh, solar power so mm-hmm. one of the one of the uh, suggestions for the outside of the hyperloop tube is that it's covered in solar panels so it can actually potentially uh, generate its own electricity which is a much cleaner way to go in australia we've got lots of sunshine so you know, that's that's the reason why it's of um, particular attractiveness to Australians. So do, do we know if these would be fully enclosed tubes or or would they be like a clear uh, Perspex type look? Well, I think if they're covered in solar panels, then they wouldn't be clear. Because mm. I don't know if you want to be really looking outside, travelling at those kind of no, speeds. No, I don't think that they do have windows. I think it is mm-hmm. literally a capsule which you get inside about the size of a bus. Mm-hmm. So 15 to 30 passengers is envisaged. Mm-hmm. And you get shot like a like a bullet through a gun. Mm-hmm. There's very little resistance because you're you're uh, vacuum you're and, in a yeah. vacuum and you're levitating using uh, magnetic resistance to to float within the tube. I mean, one of the problems is that you can't have too many bends apparently in a in a uh, in a hyperloop. So mm-hmm. there are various arguments against it. While I think it's it's great to be embracing new technology and new ideas, and it doesn't have to be a bullet train in the conventional sense or a high speed train. Uh, a la what's what's common now in Europe and in China and in Japan doesn't necessarily have to be that Australia has kind of a blank sheet. We have an advantage in a way to coming into it later than mm-hmm. some countries. However, there are concerns that that this really is a nascent technology. It's sort of on the on the drawing board, really. Um, there is a there is a test track I think that's been built by Virgin Hyperloop, mm-hmm. which is one of Richard Branson's little offshoots of the Virgin Empire. Uh, they have built a, a a test track in Nevada. Mm-hmm. 
And there are plans. I think they've even signed a uh, memorandum of understanding to develop a hyperloop between Mumbai and Pune in India. Okay. That's a very busy route and I think it normally takes about four and a half hours by slow train or and bus. And really unsafe or, train because everyone's hanging off the side of the train. People so. riding on the roads. Yeah. All sorts of things all over the roads. Near head-ons. Travelling in India by any form of transport is uh, not for the faint-hearted. Mm-hmm. So this would be a kind of a safe and fast way to do it and I think it would reduce the, the, the speed for that 150 kilometre, 140 kilometre odd dash between Pune and, and uh, Mumbai to about, you know, in the order of 20 minutes or something. Yeah. So there are some substantial time savings Mm -hmm. and also you know india's got this massive population i think there's over a hundred thousand people who do that regularly on a a daily basis Mm -hmm. so virgin is is looking to put the first one into india and then from there expand it so it could be something that 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 takes off around the world hard to know at this stage it is early days some of my concerns would include um you know what if a a truck crashed into the and cracked it and therefore there's no in a vacuum or even worse if it wasn't an accident if it was an intentional for example terrorist attack um does that take out the whole system or is it sort of sectioned off so you have you know a vacuum in in one part and then you move along and you have to go through some kind of on a gate or door that then you move into the next place which has a vacuum therefore if one section is damaged it doesn't take the vacuum out of the whole um tube i mean i don't know the answer good question good question look i think that over the course of a journey because you're traveling that fast i think the whole length of tube of hyperloop has to be pressurized And they try to get it down as close to a vacuum as possible. A vacuum would be ideal and would enable the highest possible speed and most efficient use of energy. But I think it's it's very hard to maintain a vacuum in a very large space. Mm. So they reduce the pressure, but they don't achieve a, a perfect vacuum. Mm-hmm. So I think the answer to what you're saying is that, yes, if one part of it uh, has a breach, then I think the whole thing well, is maybe, disrupted. Look, it's probably got a tube within a tube so that that way if the outer tube is damaged, it, you're still preserving the inner tube, which you, you're riding through. Yeah. Hopefully like a double hole. There, there are much smarter people thinking to answers for these questions. Yeah, <laughs> it is early days. And I think that's one of the reasons why there's, there's some resistance to having a hyperloop up the eastern seaboard of Australia. Well, you've got, you've got the land has, issues as well. You've got to get the agreements from the state governments, the federal governments, um, that, that it's and and probably homeowners as well if it's going to go right through that their backyard. I think um, Labor, the Australian Labor Party, which is um, looking to take over federal government in uh, about May this year, 2019, they've said that they probably favour a um, a more uh, traditional high speed rail solution. Mm-hmm. All sides of politics are interested in having a high speed. Mass transit system Which up, been the, up talked the about for 50 something years. Been talked about for years, yeah. absolutely. I mean, even the, this joke between having to drive out to Melbourne Airport, pay through the nose to park in a massive car park that's just raking in cash mm. for the owners, instead of having a fast rail link. Sydney's had one for a while. Most cities in the world, big capital cities, mm. have a rail link to the main airport, to an international airport, instead of you know people getting stuck and there's roadworks and mm. you know there's sort of almost perpetual lane expansion and all that sort of stuff happening on that that link between. Melbourne CBD and Tullamarine Airport. So a lot of people would love to see something like this happen, whether it is the Hyperloop or not. It's hard to say at this stage. You know, we'd certainly hope that, you know, some kind of sense prevails and that this isn't something that people wait for forever because it's, I think it's hard time. We need high-speed transport between capital cities and airports and indeed up the east coast as well uh, there are certain distances where, where there are sweet spots for rail and for something like a hyperloop over air transport and obviously air transport is going to be the one to compete with in in the main sydney's building a second airport so congestion is going to be relieved there that, that's the whole thing it has to be cost effective otherwise it's not worth doing 
You're listening to From the Vault, the best of the Beyond Infinity radio show. Where we look back over some of the most interesting science and tech stories we've covered over the years. So I hope you enjoyed that discussion about the East Coast Hyperloop and how that was pitched to the Australian government. Now the next story is the announcement, and this was made in in June 2019, that Melbourne is to be the first international Uber Air pilot city. Uber has named Melbourne in Australia, the capital of Victoria, uh, the second most populous city after Sydney, uh, and projected actually to become a bigger city eventually than Sydney, owing to the, uh, the ability to expand more readily into the surrounding land of what is already a, a large city in, in geographical area with a population of, I think, about 4.5 million at the moment, as I speak in April 2020. Uber has named Melbourne as the first market for Uber Air outside the US after the cities of Dallas and New York. Riders could get from the CBD to the airport in 12 minutes. That's the Central Business District of Melbourne to Tullamarine Airport in 12 minutes for about the same price as an Uber X. Testing from 2019 onwards and scheduled to begin services in 2023, subject to regulatory approval. Another exciting uh, infrastructure development I think there will be also a uh, a high-speed train connecting Melbourne to its airport at Tullamarine. At the moment, the toll roads do a roaring trade and charge good money to get to the airport by road. And then the car parks that surround Melbourne Airport also do a roaring trade because people drive out there and leave their cars if they go away. So there would be some big benefits to having a rail link, but also some benefits in having an air link as well. So, John, getting to the Melbourne airport from the city is expensive. Mm-hmm. People don't know that if you don't live in the city. Uh, it's, depending on where you are, probably in the CBD, it's, it'd be the best part of 80 bucks Australian. Yeah. Yep. Which is, uh, what, what in the order of 60, 60, early 60s in US currency. Yeah, so, it's an expensive trip. And Uber is suggesting, they've announced that they are going to bring about a change to this whole setup whereby you fly in an electric possibly autonomous drone-like craft Mm -hmm. with, say, six or eight other people, Mm -hmm. and it costs you the same sort of money, and you get there in 12 minutes. There's a probably the equivalent of a a helipad, maybe on the side of the river, something like that might have been agreed to. I haven't heard any word on where it is, but there is a helipad there, or off the top of a building would be pretty wild as well. But you'd go straight out to the airport, get in in this craft, I think initially the early versions of it are going to, even if they're not directly driving it, there's going to be people with the capability to override the autonomous Mm -hmm. controls Mm -hmm. from the Mm get-go and maybe they'll be phased out over time. But great boon for Melbourne and I'm not sure exactly what the deal that's been done. There has been some cooperation between the state government of Victoria, the Andrews government uh, and Uber. Mm -hmm. Uber has decided that after New York and Dallas, both on American soil, the first international hub is going to be in melbourne mm, and from right. between melbourne cbd and the airport Jeez, and it's and it's going to be a a great ride it's a boeing developed craft they've worked in cooperation and the and the early graphics and stuff which i think i've already tweeted to our website and if i haven't they'll be with this podcast it looks like a, a beautifully designed modern craft which mm-hmm. can take off vertically mm-hmm. and the propellers actually rotate and sort of slot very neatly and become becomes more like a, a, a conventional aircraft 
like a like a Cessna. I've never taken a helicopter before, um, but a drone helicopter without an actual person in—I know that somebody can take over. But you're, you know, relying on a, a flying object in the sky that any interference could potentially, you know, knock out any remote capabilities. Mm. So how safe would I feel? I, I don't know because, you know, I haven't even been in a Tesla yet with the automatic driving, mm. and, and I don't even know how I'd go sitting in the driver's seat and just letting the car. Well, even operate. in the Tesla, you don't submit completely. Like I think if you take your hand off the wheel the car will stop mm. um and it's it's but you don't that, even have that option in this helicopter that's that's what i mean so you when you're in the helicopter you you've got no mm. control over it at mm. all yeah well you don't but but i think as i said that it's going to have to there's going to be a system that's going to drive it just like a mm. car would be driven going to have to comp- comply with i think compliance is going to be a huge hurdle really to Massive. make it to make it safe to make this thing to be allowed to happen commercially on a regular basis going to have to tick a lot of boxes and that will be fitting in with civil aviation doing it in such a way that you know you're not interfering you don't you don't pose any hazard to an international airport Mm -hmm. second biggest in australia Mm -hmm. you know maybe eventually one day the biggest for incoming flights from international the last thing that they would be introducing into that would be an unsafe autonomous uh, technology which flies flies between uh, melbourne cbd and the airport but all that said it's an exciting development and it looks like the, the test flights will start in 2020, which is only, well, you know, six months from now, essentially. They're looking to do that. And commercial operations are hoping to start in 2023. So this is not something they're just going to do, you know, a few test runs over a couple of days and then say, okay, I'll load it up and, and keep moving. This is going to go through rigorous testing through different weather conditions and, um, you know, scenarios, day and night, other obstacles. And once it passes, ticks all those boxes, then yeah, it should be available. Hopefully, what they're suggesting is twenty twenty three. I can't wait. I think it's going to be great. I'm so looking forward to getting a, uh, a, a, a even unmanned. I mean, you know, just take your life in your hands. I mean, don't forget that big planes. When you get on a plane to go internationally, they have autopilot anyway. So unless they it's do, a, but they've got some unusual situation. They've got they, someone sitting yeah, yeah. in front of it. But, yeah, but for the bulk of the flight, they're not in control. So yeah. it's like so the same sort of thing. I think in these that initially, at least, until they prove themselves with a certain number of safe flights you're not going to have the thing being agreed to. But I think these things look awesome. And if it can do what they're sort of talking about it doing, this will be the future of transportation and it will solve a lot of problems. I mean, you know, if this really took off, would we need to have, you know, a high-speed train out to the airport from this Melbourne CBD? If you had these things shuttling back and forward, Mm. a swarm of them even, Mm. you know, six apiece, uh, flying autonomously in a grid in formation, computer-controlled formation flying, Maybe you don't need to to have that massive in infrastructure spend to put a high speed yeah, train in. All you need is one accident, and then that's going to cause negative opinion. And and I guess, or if you have a shutdown, if the weather is particularly bad, then mm. you want, I guess, an alternate system to make sure you're getting out there. I, I like, I think trains are uh, great in terms of getting people around, mm. but I I recognise that we do need additional methods as well because you know cars are taking up too much space. Uh, there's not much land necessarily for for trains, so we have to potentially look at either going above ground uh, or below ground so above being in the air i saw various uh, presentations susan anderson who's the regional general manager for uber in australia new zealand and north asia made an announcement at uber's global elevate which is uber air summit in washington on june 11th she said 
Since we entered the market in 2012, Australians have embraced Uber wholeheartedly. Today, over 3.8 million Aussies regularly use Uber as a reliable way to get from A to B, and governments across the country have recognised the important role ride-sharing plays in the future of transport for our cities. She goes on to say that Melbourne's third launch city for Uber Air. We will see other Australian cities following soon after. Mm. It's a really exciting change in the way that we get around. I don't see why not, really. And as Elon Musk has said about the system that his Teslas use, the, mm-hmm. the autopilot system, that the system is feeding back. So it's learning the more kilometers, the more yes. hours that yep. it's out there being used, the more Teslas are mm-hmm. sold around the world. All that information is getting fed back. So these cars update automatically. You drive it into your driveway. It, it talks to the Wi-Fi overnight, gets a software patch here and there, an update for something. And in the same process or at the same time, it's uploading information and saying, here's what I've got. This yeah. is what I've learned. Yeah. That goes into the central database. So you can imagine, you know, over time, Uber Air probably will get rid of the pilot because that is Uber's objective and that's why Uber's invested in in, in self-driving car technology which mm-hmm. is a whole other branch of probably a, a bigger branch than air yeah. really the idea is to get the driver or the pilot out of the picture and thereby save yourself that massive labor cost then you've got an automated they're, system they're losing money they they haven't been in profit yet they, they need investment mm. they need investment yeah, they're losing billions and so, billions so this is also part of a you know capital raising you know, venture mm. uh, and upon successful tests it'll also generate revenue as well but mm. uh, i'm sure this is about getting people to invest in uber to, to you know make make their bosses some money and this vertical takeoff aircraft looks very cool and does enable you to do all sorts of routes which would take a lot longer by vehicle or train or any other form of transport Mm. really that we've got at the moment whether it's through a tunnel or in the air uber's kind of an interesting company there's been criticism of it the ipo didn't go as well as it was expected Mm -hmm. the founders and the and uh, other earlier investors in the in that company got billions less than they'd hoped to get Mm. from the float Mm -hmm. but that said they've you know, probably done pretty well. Mm. And and you can see with this kind of innovation, if this was pulled off and this became a regular thing that, that took off around the world, that would presumably make that valuation look really good value. Yeah. You're listening to From the Vault, the best of the Beyond Infinity radio show. Where we look back over some of the most interesting science and tech stories we've covered over the years. So exciting stuff there about plans to make Melbourne the first international Uber Air pilot city. Now, next up, I thought I'd uh, replay a story from December 2019, which caught our attention. This was about a plan by Australian billionaires Mike Cannon-Brooks of Atlassian fame and Andrew Forrest, who's a big iron ore magnate from Western Australia. These two men are lead investors in a project to build an enormous solar power plant near Tennant Creek in the Northern Territory, plus a four and a half thousand kilometre long interconnector to supply clean energy to Southeast Asia. Another really exciting infrastructure project could generate a lot of jobs at a time when Australia needs them. Australia has a huge amount of outback sunshine, as we're all aware of. You just have to head up the Stewart Highway from Adelaide up to Darwin and you become aware of this. And uh, there's lots of other outback in Australia. Fly from Bali, for example, and look down over this expanse of desert. It's 
hot and it's dry and it doesn't have much in the way of cloud cover. Uh, and of course, there are periods of the year when there's, when there's rain, but generally it's dry and sunny and it's a huge place to make solar energy, to have solar farms and to generate it. One plan that has been hitting the headlines recently is called the Sun Cable Project, and this is set to drive Asia's transition to cleaner energy by generating huge amounts of solar power near Tennant Creek, in the case of Sun Cable, and then delivering it by cable up to Singapore. Yeah, and so not uh, even ha- held in here in Australia. Well, That's it could be used in Australia as well, but, yeah. the, but the big market, the big populations yeah. are north of us. Uh, and Singapore, I think they typically use uh, gas-powered for their electricity generation. Right. So they're looking to rely less on, on gas. On fossil on fuels. On fossil fuels. Absolutely. So this is, yeah. this is part of Asia's transition to cleaner energy and to renewables. It would definitely be a great boon for Australia. It's attracted some really big backers, and this is what's given the, the whole thing a kind of a head of steam, if you like. The two notable people who've backed it are Andrew Forrest. Uh, he's a mining magnate from Western Australia, iron ore billionaire. And Mike Cannon-Brooks from Atlassian, mm-hmm. who's a, a, a multi-billionaire. In fact, I looked the other day and he's worth over $10 billion Australian dollars now. So he's done incredibly well out of Atlassian, that software company that's uh, gone around the world and, and gone viral, so to speak. The estimated costs are around about $20 billion. Yeah, $20 billion. Together. So it's, yeah. it's not a cheap project. You know, one of the things about it is that uh, they're claiming the backers and the people involved with the sort of early stages, and we are talking early stages at the moment, but it was oversubscribed. So there's been a lot of interest from investors, including those two big investors, Cannon Brooks and Forrest. But one of the things they're saying is that uh, they're, they're not waiting for any miracles to occur as far as technology breakthroughs. Part Just get of, along with it. Part, well, part yeah. of the big attraction of it is that it's using existing technology that has not been applied on such a, a scale before, rather than relying on processes yet to be developed. The way that it's going to happen is that, as I said, it'll be up at Tennant Creek. It involves a 10 gigawatt solar farm and about 22 gigawatt hour battery storage plant that'll be built near Tennant Creek in the Northern Territory. Over 15,000 hectares for the space they'll need. Right. And uh, then power will be transmitted through a high voltage direct current 4,500 kilometre interconnector to Singapore, which would include a fibre optic cable as well. So that sounds like that might be just sort of doubling up, uh, putting in a fibre optic cable. I guess it's sort of one of the benefits. If you're going to run cable, you might as well. Yeah, why not include a data cable with it as well? And uh, the planet is encircled by fibre optic cable. In fact, 99% of communications and internet communications, phone calls, and the like go through cables, undersea cables. Uh, only a very small percentage are actually done through satellites, which are not as fast and not as efficient and can't carry the traffic that fibre optic can. As I mentioned, there's been early interest among Singaporean electricity retailers. Independent power companies in Singapore have already expressed interest in, in buying the uh, uh, you know this electricity that's generated in Australia. There is an appreciation that countries like Singapore and other places in Southeast Asia could benefit from having clean energy and will benefit yep. from it. It's part of the world making a transition, part of it, uh, addressing climate change around the world. We do need to wean ourselves off, urgently wean ourselves off fossil fuels. So turning Australia into a giant solar farm mm. and cabling the power up to Asia, not just Singapore, Indonesia, imagine the size of that market Uh, and other places up there malaysia thailand this could really put australia at the center of a clean energy revolution in our in our part of the world spare land and sun that's beating down consistently i mean look this is only going to power about one-fifth of the power needs of singapore Mm. but it is 
you know, I guess big it's a step test in the right case. direction. A, that's right. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, look, it's early days at the moment. This is not going to actually be up and running for several years from now, but work is already underway in securing uh, approvals and notice of intent is, uh, is expected to be lodged with the Northern Territory Environment Protection Authority between mid-December and early January uh, 2020. And discussions are already taking place with various branches of government and different agencies to brief them on the project. And apparently the uh, the feedback has been generally supportive up till now. Mm. So really exciting. A big plant to be built just near Tennant Creek in the Northern Territory to supply Singapore to start with and other, other countries and other markets potentially via a direct current 4,500 kilometre interconnector. Thanks for listening to From the Vault, the best of the Beyond Infinity radio show. For our complete back catalogue, head to beyondinfinity.com.au. You can also engage with us on social media, Beyond Infinity RWPFM on Facebook, Infinity RPP on Twitter. 